think over the years I started to realize it's more than just running. Like there is more to life than just running. And obviously it's a big part of what I do, but I'm starting to realize like we need to make sure our happiness is intact. And I try to to make that as part of my life. You know, I, I try to stick to my schedule. I try waking up early, try going to bed early and just trying to be positive. Like I try not to feel like entitled and hopefully I'm like this positive light for these kids. And I just want to be a, a good role model more than anything. And I don't want to ever complain or anything like that. That's Brenda Martinez. And this is the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and my guest this week is Brenda Martinez. Brenda is one of the best middle distance runners in the world. She's got a silver medal in the 800 meters from the 2013 World Championships. She was on the 2016 U.S. Olympic team in the 1500 meters. She's won a national title and stood atop the podium at numerous other events. The 33-year-old is a native of Rancho Cucamonga, California, and she ran at UC Riverside, where she was a national runner-up in the 1500 meters and a three-time All-American. She now lives and trains in Big Bear, California, only an hour from where she grew up. We covered a lot in this conversation, and I think you'll take a ton away from it. Brenda told me about her relationship with the legendary Joe Vigil, who's coached her since 2011, and the impact he's had not only on her competitive running career, but her life as a whole. We discussed her running camp, which kicks off its eighth year this week as a virtual experience for high school girls and boys. Along those lines, she told me why it's important for her to give back to others and serve as a role model for young kids. We talked about not allowing yourself to get distracted or affected by the actions of other people and keeping focused on what it is you're trying to accomplish. Brenda told me about her 2013 World Championships medal upgrade and the importance of fighting for clean sport. I asked her about her experience at the 2016 Olympic trials where she made the team in dramatic fashion in the 1500 meters after getting tripped up in the 800 final just a few days before. We also talked about her competitiveness, creativity, learning to be self-reliant, and a lot more. Before we get into this one, a big thank you to New Balance, which happens to be Brenda's sponsor too, for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. I want to tell you about the new Fuel Cell RC Elite, which launches this week on newbalance.com. And I am not going out on a limb when I say that this is the best road racing shoe that I've ever worn. I've had a pair since earlier this year, and I love them just as much for faster fartlek workouts as I do for marathon pace tempo runs. I wore them for a one mile and 5k time trial this past spring, and they felt fun and fast on my feet. I'm a men's nine and a half, and these shoes are just the perfect weight at seven and a half ounces. The combination of fuel cell foam and a full length carbon fiber plate puts a little pep in your step, and the DynaRide outsole provides good traction in a variety of conditions. So if you're looking for a fast shoe to rock this fall, check out the Fuel Cell RC Elite at newbalance.com or at the links in the show notes. Okay, let's get right into this one with the incredible Brenda Martinez. So we had to bump this back a few hours yeah. because as you were walking out the door for your workout this morning, USADA came to test you. And yeah. that's part of your job as an athlete at your level. But I'm wondering, and I think many of my listeners are also wondering, like, what's that like for you? Uh, yeah, you know, they, they come randomly and... Um... You know, I'm pretty good at like updating my window, but I've been training from the house. 
Um, but yeah, I had just finished my prehab and I was literally about to just lace up and go for my warm up. And I see my tester just pull up to my driveway and I was like, okay, long time no see, but yes, you're here. And um, yeah, I mean, that's just part of the job. And I, it was just terrible. I gave a partial. So uh, the first test didn't really count because I didn't give enough. And then we, I had to wait until I had to go bathroom again. But we finally did it the second time and uh, she eventually left. <laughs> So she's just there at your house for a few hours as you're trying to provide them a sample. <laughs> yeah, you have to give enough, uh, you know, urine. So I, I did it the first time. And um, yeah, I mean, that just happens. <laughs> On average, how many times a year would you say that you're tested? Um, I, I think it just fluctuates throughout the year. I think it's just based on like the rankings. Um, some I was sometimes getting tested by the IAAF. Um, mm-hmm. So USADA would come in on behalf of the IAAF. Um, but I think this time I'm in the USADA testing pool now, just cause I haven't really raced or competed. Um, or, you know, I've fallen off the ranks, so to speak. So, um, it just varies, but I think when I was ranked, you know, 2013, 2014, um, early in my years, I was getting tested a lot more. Let's talk about that for a little bit. This year has obviously been a weird year. A lot of things have just been canceled. There's no Olympic games, no U.S trials, anything like that. You've competed twice, I believe, from what I saw. You ran a couple 800 meters, (laughs) I think one up in Portland, one um, down in SoCal, where you're based. And then last year was also a weird year for you because you were coming off of an appendectomy, I believe, (laughs) and couldn't, you know, couldn't really compete. It's been like quite a a stretch. Where are you at right now with everything, given that, (laughs) and given that there is so much uncertainty ahead from here? Yeah, I think... Just yeah, last year was just weird. I only did one indoor race. It was a, I think the mile or fifteen hundred, the mile at the Grand Prix, uh, and my injury just kept getting worse and worse. And then um, I went to Phoenix for like six weeks to go visit uh, John Ball, and mm-hmm. I I told myself I'm not leaving until we figure this out. Like it's just getting worse, and then it, you know my tendinosis turned into bursitis, and um, it just got to the point where I wasn't enjoying running anymore. Like it. I was in so much pain. I'm like, I can't even finish workouts. It's, it's just a hassle just to get out the door. And, you know, I think when the, when my appendix, I didn't know it was my appendix, but I'm actually glad it, it like happened because the moment that I wasn't enjoying myself, I think that almost had to happen because it, it forced me to just like take a step back. Um, and then even after surgery, I obviously couldn't run. Um, but it was like a good reset, like mentally and physically. and. I don't know what happened. I took the antibiotics and my injury went away, which is so weird. Um, so, and then after that, I, that's what I needed. And, you know, during that buildup last year, I was just like, this is what I needed. I I'm ready to take on this buildup. And then COVID happened and, um, you know, I've been healthy. So again, this year I was just, you know, fortunate enough to race. I know I wasn't in the best shape. I was pretty strong, but not sharp. And, uh, for mm-hmm. me, it was, just to get out there, put the uniform on, put my spikes on and just race. You know, I haven't raced in 802 years, but uh, it feels good to like hurt that bad again. <laughs> Let's continue down that line for a little bit longer. What was it like for you to put the uniform on, put the spikes back on, to line up next to your competitors, yeah. even though there were no spectators in the stand, but just to put <laughs> yourself in the mix again? Uh, yeah, again, it was very different for me. Like I wasn't necessarily chasing a time and 
Um, there was just certain restrictions that I had in my training. We had adjustments. I had only been on the track like six times before they officially, you know, shut down California. I, they shut down the university and I couldn't get on the track. So we were doing everything on the roads. And, um, you know, I just try not to complain. I'm like, you know, I'm grateful for the fitness that I have right now. I'm healthy for once. And, you know, it's been years. So I, I just feel grateful that I, I'm healthy. And um, yeah, it's, it's really, to me, it's that simple. Like I, I, I can't take that for granted. Looking back at those two races, what were your biggest takeaways? Um, I would say the first one, it was it was weird. I, I think I, I just had the intention to just like go with the leaders and all of a sudden I found myself like leading and I was like, shoot, this isn't what I wanted. <laughs> and it just went out pedestrian and um, I ran 202 both races, but um, I just wanted to race again and hopefully that was, you know things in California were kind of up in the air. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they opened up another race in, in Southern California. So I was like, okay, might as well. Um, this might be my, my only last race. And yeah, I just threw myself in it. You know, we, we followed the guidelines. We, we did the COVID test, you know, twice prior to, you know, the weekend races. And um, yeah, I mean, we just been super careful. And again, like I, I was just happy to, to get on the line. How did you feel a few months ago when they announced that the Olympic Games are going to be postponed by mm-hmm. a year? Um, to be honest, I feel like it was, I think the further they pushed it back, the better. And I feel like it would mm-hmm. allow people to, to just catch up on training. Like at least for, for, for my point, like it would give me time to just build up again. And um, now that it's kind of just been postponed even more, it's, I think it's a good thing just because there's a lot of people that can't get on tracks. They don't have their resources right now. Everything's just like been restrictive. And um, yeah, so hopefully next summer it's a different story and we at least have some information on where we're going and where we're headed. But um, I'm just going to act like we're there's a season, you know, maybe in January or February or maybe some fall racing on the roads. But um, yeah, it just starts all over again and hopefully everything's kind of, it shapes up better. And I don't know, we kind of just wait. <laughs> How does it feel, and you mentioned this a little while ago, how you're healthy at this time of year for the first time in like three yeah. years. So how does it feel to go into your base phase? And I mean, a, a, an uncertain 2021 at this point, but just to be healthy and to have nothing holding you back. It feels good. I, I just remember entering every single like build up, like I'm not my best, maybe I'll get better. And right now I'm just kind of managing the pain and... um for a couple of years, I was able to get on the line, um, even though I knew I wasn't my best, but I was like, <clears throat> I'm still grateful I can race. And um, yeah, it, just, it finally caught up and uh, we figured out what it was and um, had everything to do with my hips. And, you know, now I'm like the healthiest I've ever been. And I haven't seen a therapist since January. So it makes no sense to me. So I know what I'm doing is right or it's helping. And um, we're doing a lot of hip thrusts, a lot of weight stuff, with, especially with my hips. And um, I know my prehab work, so um, I'm just trying to do that every single day and, and you know keep that in check. How are you thinking about next year and maybe just your future in general in terms of where you will put your focus? And the reason I ask that is because you made the 2016 Olympic team in 1500 meters. You've got a world championship medal at 800 meters. That's kind of been your wheelhouse yeah. for the most part. I've actually watched you race 5,000 on the track and on the roads. And and to me, like I'm watching him like, all right, she's a great 800, 1500 meter runner. And I know 
just based on how Joe Vigil trains his athletes, like you guys cover the full spectrum of intensity Mm -hmm. throughout the year. So you do like a lot of strength work. I'd love to just get your thoughts on what excites you for 2021 and perhaps beyond in terms of where you'll focus your energy. Um, I mean, I still, I don't want to give up on the eight. And I think for so long, I told myself I'm done with the eight, like the trip kind of messed me up mentally, but, um, and I just kept saying that because my injury wasn't going away. And, you know, the 800 is so specific with the speed and it just hurt me to put on spikes and just do, do that effort. Uh, mm-hmm. But now that I'm healthy and I've, I've tested the spikes, I got no reaction from it. So I think that was a good sign for me. So now I'm kind of like, I want to do the 800 again. And, um, but yeah, that's just how we train. We do multi-phase training. We train like quarter miler, half miler, miler. Uh, 5k, 10k, even marathon. Like my long runs mm-hmm. are at marathon pace, so like 550 to 545 for like 10 to 12 miles. Um, so Cutchfield is just giving me that foundation, um, just so I can kind of rebound from the rounds. And you know, if I decide to move up in distance, then it will be an easier transition for me. Um, it's not easy, and you know, every time I feel like I'm adapting, he'll just throw in a new stimulus and. <laughs> Um, it's just all over again. So he's, he's definitely always prepared me for, for championships. You're 33 years old right now. You just turned 33. Happy birthday. Belated birthday, by the way. (laughs) Do you feel like you're losing any of your top end speed at this point? Uh, no, I, I mean, I've, I've gone away from it, but I know it's still there. It's just about getting it in consistently and, um, I mean, it takes months, I feel like, to to build that. And I, you can't get away from it. And for me, I, there was times where I would get away from it. But we're doing speed, like, even in the fall, um, just so we're not, you know, it's not so much of a shock once I get on the track or once I get to racing. So um, if I can just stay healthy, um, I know I can handle it. I know I can handle the loading and, and the mileage and whatnot. So, um, but the biggest thing is keeping an eye on the injury, make sure it doesn't come back and recovering. Recovering is going to be, like, the biggest thing for me, too. You've worked with Coach V. Hill since 2011, and I do want to get into the origins of that relationship. But from a training methodology standpoint, how have things evolved for you over the past almost nine years? Um, yeah, I, I just feel like I'm getting stronger. Like that, just that foundation that Coach Veal is giving me. Um, there's workouts where I just I, I tell myself I don't know if I can do that, <laughs> and then I I just have to trust that adaptation is going to happen. Um, and I think after the third time of attempting a certain workout, then I'm like, okay, I know I can do this. And just having those weekly calls with Coach Vigil, it gives me reassurance that it can be done. Um, but sometimes he needs to give me a little pep talk to before I attempt them. Um, but, you know, he, I like it when he does these like storytelling. He'll tell me about certain athletes, you know, talks about Dina, Meb, um, you know, all of his former athletes, Pat Porter and you know, he's told me like their bad days or their, you know, where they just turned it around. It was really everything about belief. And that's something that I've struggled with. And um, Coach Veal has been the one to like get that out of me. And, um, you know, there's been times where he believes in me more than I believe in myself. And that just a lot of times it's just that one person that can get you through that, you know, and he believed in me. And um, that's just kind of how our relationship did start, you know, I was in a place where I wasn't confident. I had nowhere to go to. And I, he, you know, he took me in and that phone call just changed my life. And, um, he's the reason why I have the life that I have right now. And the credentials that I have right now be, is because of Coach V Hill. 
Tell me a little bit more about the origins of your relationship. What spurred that phone call and how did you guys get hooked yeah. up? Um, so for me, it, it was kind of like an unorthodox path for me. Like when you're in college, you want to look out and scope out like these training groups. You want to go train with people that are better than you and people that have, you know, that can be like medal contenders, been at the Olympics, world championships. And, you know, I had a group in mind. I mean, I won't mention the groups, but I had a group in mind. And I think my college coach, he remember sitting in his office and he had written out like a four-year plan and was like, we're going to do this and this and this, and you're going to pay me this and this. And um, I just, one day I stood up for myself and I told him, Hey, like, I want to go train with a professional group. Like, I don't want to stay here in the college, you know, system basically. Mm-hmm. And he didn't like that very much, you know? And yeah, I think when I told him what group I was interested in, he pretty much reached out to the coach and just talked bad about me, said I wasn't coachable and I would only bring problems. And I remember getting this call from this coach and, you know, he had two girls on the team that I really look up to. I still do. And, you know, the coach just kind of ripped my head off and said, you're not good enough to be on my group. Like my athletes aren't worried about you. We're worried about beating Jenny Simpson. And of course that was like a dagger to my heart. And I was like, okay, well now it's, we go searching for another group. So we had our eyes in, on a second group in Colorado. We moved. Again, my college coach found out and he reached out to the coach and did the same exact thing. Um, so that's already like, yeah. So it was kind of like, come on, like kick me while I'm down. Like I'm not confident. I'm coming off an injury. Like I just felt lost. Me and my husband had nowhere to go. We were like, what do we do? So it wasn't until he's like, you know what? Let me, let me contact my, my post-collegiate coach, Marco Sochoa. Um, he mm-hmm. happened to be a former coach of Dr. Joe Vigil's. You, you know, he went to Adam State and we just said, hey, Marcos, like, is there any way we can call Coach Vigil? Like, we we need a coach. Like, we need a training situation, environment, whatnot. He's like, yeah, he's like, I'll pass along the contact. So Coach Vigil was 81 or 82 at the time. And, you know, our intention was just to ask him, like, do you know of any coaches that would be willing to work with me? Because we just thought, okay, he's this old <laughs> and he's retired. You know, he's just doing clinics. You know, he doesn't travel much. And, um, yeah, so we, we told him what was going on and he just said, you know what, let me, let me, let me think about it. Let me call you back in a couple of days and let's see what I can do. So we wait, he calls and he got really upset. He's like, I'm so mad that people treated you this way. Like you have the potential to be great. Um, and he's like, you know what? He's like, I'm going to coach you. And that kind of took us off guard. We're like, what? Like, okay, like coach. (laughs) And that's kind of how our relationship started. And we didn't expect it. We just thought, you know, so many coaches, he's well known. So maybe he'll just, you know, kind of vouch for us, you know, for a group. And um, I didn't expect that. But yeah, that's kind of how our relationship started. And um, again, he just told me, if you mess up, I'll get rid of you. And I was like, I won't let you down. (laughs) So uh, yeah, so we made it work. You know, he's in Green Valley, Arizona, and we're here in Big Bear Lake. Um, it was one of the requirements for us to be at altitude in order for us to train under him. And yeah, we just, we've made it work. And Big Bear's not far from where you grew up. I believe it's about an hour or so away yeah. from mm-hmm. your family. And what's interesting about Big Bear, the only reason that I have any awareness of it at all before you got up there is that's where Ryan Hall grew up. I remember reading about yeah. him growing up in Big Bear, California. And I lived in San Diego for a while, so I was aware of it 
once I moved to California. But what's interesting is there aren't really many other top level athletes that are training there. And in your situation, you're kind of a, a lone wolf, more or less, but you seem to thrive in that kind of environment. How much do you think that's played into your success? I think we just try not to complain. Like there isn't a track up here. Like we have a tr- like a dirt track, but it has like potholes, and um, we really just made the roads like our home. Um, and then obviously we drive down fifty to an hour, sometimes an hour fifteen, just to get to a track, uh, depending on what's open to us. And um, yeah, that's just how we we've been doing it. And it, I feel like it 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 benefits more middle distance athletes because you don't have to go off an effort. You know, you can actually drive down to a track, mm-hmm. do the workout, push yourself, and actually hit the paces. Whereas at altitude, um, like for me, I feel like I'm adapted already, and I can actually get away with with doing that type of work up here. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, we just made it work, and there's been times where it's been hard. Sometimes I have to do it on the treadmill if it's too cold, um, but we make it work. How has the arrangement itself? worked out. You mentioned how Coach V Hill lives in Green Valley, Arizona. You guys talk once a week on the phone. I know your husband, Carlos, sort of um, is the is the man on the ground more or less in mm-hmm. Big Bear and he's there timing your workouts. How does that relationship work from a communication and a programming and an implementation standpoint? Um, I would say Carlos has been like super like masterful is like the word I've tried to look for. It's like, especially when he's trying to report to coach Vihal, like he, he knows like my body language. He knows what I've been doing, obviously. Um, so he's always trying to find ways for me to recover better and just give that information to coach Vihal since he's not here. So really he's coach Vihal's eyes and he, he does have discretion if I need to change the workout or, uh, maybe I need to cut back a little bit. And, um, so it's, that's a good thing as well. Um, but I think when it comes to like the relationship I have, like in the beginning, it was super hard. I couldn't separate, you know, husband, wife, athlete, a coach. Mm -hmm. And if he yelled at me in training, I'd get butt hurt (laughs) and bring it home. Um, and I've gotten better over that, but, um, yeah, it's really hard working with your spouse, but we know that coach feels helping us. And again, like, I don't want to take that for granted and, and mess that up. So we, I have to check myself and be like, you can't allow these little things to bother you like this is what I have to do um so we've gotten better at that and um yeah it's it's just different not many people you know sometimes they need a coach with them they need them at the warm-up they need them at a championship like coach Beal's never been to a, a world championships or an olympics with me um or my husband you know it's they just kind of send me off and say go handle business you know we trust you <laughs> so um yeah I, I they've develop me to be like independent at the same time. But um, yeah, we just, we just made it work and we've made mistakes along the way, but we learn from those mistakes. Were you always independent before you started working with coach Vigil on a, uh, in a remote <laughs> basis or did that develop uh, afterwards? Uh, it was, yeah, it, it didn't happen until coach Vigil. So he, it's just those talks that we have, like, um, he builds me up so much and I'm so grateful for that because there, again, like I told you, there was times where I'm like, I don't think I could need that coach. And he's like, yes, you can. He's like, it's okay to be scared, but you need to have the courage to, to find a way. He's like, don't take this as like a roadblock. Like you need to take it as a speed bump, really. He's like, but you're a grown woman. You can handle it. And um, I think just having those talks with him just gives me reassurance that I can, I can do it. Um, 
yeah, there's been tough times and I surprised myself. Going back to your collegiate experience, you had a very successful collegiate career. You were runner-up in the NCAA 1500. You were, I believe, a three-time All-American. You talked a little bit about how when you graduated, you know, your your college coach had kind of made things very difficult for you. Did you guys have a contentious relationship throughout your time at Riverside or was it only when you left that things got a little weird? Um, I mean, yeah, obviously it got weird towards the end, but I think that's just how he was. That's all he knows. Like, so I can't really blame him. Um, and it took me a long time to understand that. Um, his training was more like militarized, I would say. And, um, his way or the highway old school. Um, you know, and to me, I've even growing up, like my parents always told me, you need to respect your coach and just listen and do the work. And I just would do that. And it, I think it just got to the point where we started talking about agents, money, and um, him having control over my schedule, all that. I think that's when it kind of got to me. Um, but yeah, it's it was a very uncomfortable, you know, situation for me because I I wanted to leave. I wanted to go train with people that were better than me. And um, yeah, I I again, like I was just trying not to complain. I was just trying to be a good student athlete and just have a really good experience or try to make the most of it, even though there was times where it wasn't fun. But yeah, it was, it was tough. All right. I want to bring this back to the here and now. You're about to kick off the eighth annual BMART camp. And this is the first time that you've had to do it virtually. It's also the first time that you're allowing boys to attend. So I'd love to go back to the beginnings of it eight years ago. Yeah. Why did you decide to start the camp and what was the original intention behind it? Um, so Coach Fehill did give me the idea of having my camp. So I I owe him everything to like, just have, you know, just to have that idea. And I just thought it was the greatest thing ever. Um, but I, again, it's those weekly talks that I have with him. And I remember talking to him and telling him, Coach, there's, I'm talking to schools, like there's tons of high school kids that come up to Big Bear for like their camp. And I'm talking to them, but I feel like I'm not doing enough. And he's always told me, you have a big responsibility in the sport. Like you have to give back to the sport because it's giving you so much. And I'm like, yes, I agree. Like, but what can I do? And he just nonchalantly said, why not have a girl's camp? And I was like, oh my God, coach, like that's perfect. And, you know, we kicked it off 2013 and we started off with five girls because I just didn't know what I was doing. But um, it was more of a trial and error. We were just going to learn to just make it bigger and better throughout the years. And this is the eighth year now. And it's, getting bigger and better. And we've opened it up, I think two years ago nationwide. So uh, we finally had the resources to like fly people in and um, get sponsors involved. New Balance, huge part of it. They, they gear up all the kids with like everything that they need for, for their training, especially for cross country. Um, And yeah, like we, we just cover a lot of topics that I feel like need to be covered, you know, mental toughness, confidence, um, a lot of mental stuff, positive psychology, injury prevention, things like that, that I feel like are going to help them and, you know, hopefully shave years off the learning curve for them, you know, and tell them about my mistakes, my, you know, my, uh, I don't know, my up and downs, um, telling my story. So, and I, I feel like I get more out of it when I do my camp and this is something I always look forward to. But yeah, it's through, a a writing contest. It's just so that it's in form of a scholarship and we're not really breaking any eligibility rules. So um, they have to submit a letter to me. And then from there, I take 10 to 12 athletes every single year and um, we try to have a good camp. 
That's amazing. I'd love to learn more about the admissions process. You mentioned that you have to write an essay to get into your camp. So when you're reading these submissions, what are you looking for? And also about how many are you getting on an annual basis? Uh, I think one year I got like 500 letters. It was so much reading. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, why do I do this to myself? But I love it. And um, yeah, it's, I'm not looking for like the top athlete. Like a lot of kids think they have to, to be like this fast runner. I'm like, no, it's not even about that. Like, I want to know you, I want to know what you're about, what you believe in. Like, was there like anything like it's open prompt so they can talk about anything. And I'm not saying they have to open up. That's not really the case, but they do sometimes. And, um, I, there's just so many letters that are like so good. And it, the hardest part is just narrowing it down. Um, I'll have like a, a stack of like 50 that I'm like, I'm saying yes to for sure. And then I have to cut it down to like 10 to 12. So that's really hard. Um, but then there's kids that write again and again and again, and they eventually get picked. Like the girl for this year, Jessica Kirchner, she, this is the second time she wrote. And I, I just, I remember reading her letter last year. I'm like, I hope she writes again. And she did. And you know, this year I, I was like, I'm picking her for sure. Like, and she gave an amazing letter once again. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really, it's about these kids just giving themselves a chance. Like if you're writing in, like, that's a good thing. Like most kids probably don't want to, but, um, yeah, I, again, it's it's just a good thing, and it it makes me feel good that I'm I'm trying to do what I can for the sport. Yeah, I I think it's an incredible thing that you're doing for the sport, even if it's only affecting a handful of kids every year. But the impact that yeah. you're able to have on their lives because they're getting to spend so much intimate time with you is yeah. is priceless. And I'm I'm curious, like over the last eight years, all the girls that you've had come through to this point? Have you maintained a lot of those relationships over time? Yes. Um, some of them are really shy. So we just kind of follow each other on social media. I, mm-hmm. We check in on each other. Um, but yeah, some of them call me, they text me, you know, some of them, if they're having a bad day, I'm like, they know they can call me and text me and they do do that. Um, and sometimes it's just me not necessarily giving them advice. It's just trying to be a listening ear. Um, just to tell them like, Hey, I'm here. Like, it's okay. Like you can reach out to me. You're not bothering me. Like if I don't answer, yeah, I'm probably sleeping, but I'll get back to you, you know? And, um, that's, I get a lot of letters like that. Um, where kids actually, they, it's, it's kind of sad. Um, they say I feel alone and that like breaks my heart. And, you know, I tell, I tell these kids like, Hey, like you have my number, like you're not bothering me. Like it's okay. So I I do try my best to just reach out to them and kind of check in. They check in on me and, um, but yeah, it's, I try to maintain like a good relationship with all of them. And, you know, I write letter recommendations for them because a lot of them are already in college or they're about to graduate, which is insane. Um, but yeah, that's, I love doing that. And I just want to help and be of use for, for these kids. I want to go back to your childhood here in a bit. But when you were about their age, did you have someone in your life like that, that you could go to? Or did you wish you had someone in your life like that, that you could go to in that way? Uh, I mean, no, I didn't. I mean, all all I really had was like my teammates and my coaches, you know, and I mean, social media wasn't right. a thing, you know, and um, it was just different back then. And yeah, like, I remember having to wait like every month for like track and field news to come out, you know, in the mail. And that was how we got our information. But yeah, there's athletes where I would look up to um, if I saw them on TV or them running the marathon, like, obviously, I'd be in awe. But like, 
we don't know anything of them just the day they competed. Um, yeah, I, I wish I did, but at the same time, it was like, I feel like I learned a lot about myself, not, you know, going through those struggles as well. And, um, maybe I wouldn't have never had my camp if I didn't go through that. And, you know, when camp came around for high school, I couldn't afford it. Like my parents had trouble, you know, coming up with like $150 just to come up to Big Bear for like five days, I think. And, um, that was asking too much almost, you know, but when my coaches were so great and they would find way, find ways for me to fundraise. And I like looking back, I really think every kid should experience a camp and that's why I did my camp. And, you know, they don't have to pay anything. They just have to write. Um, but yeah, it's, that's kind of how it started. And, um, yeah. Has the experience of camp been more gratifying for you than your own successes as an athlete? Yeah, because I, I, I think over the years I started to realize like it's more than just running. Like there is more to life than just running. And obviously it's a big part of what I do. Um, but I'm starting to realize like we need to make sure our happiness is intact. And um, yeah, like I, I try to to make that as part, part of my life. You know, I, I try to stick to my schedule. I try waking up early, try going to bed early and um, just trying to be positive. Like I try not to feel like entitled and um, hopefully I'm like this positive light for these kids. And um, I just want to be a, a good role model more than anything. And I don't want to ever complain or anything like that. So, um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think the evidence speaks for itself, just the way that you live out your life and the fact you've done this for the past eight years and you maintain these type of relationships. That says everything right there. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Aside from this year's camp going completely virtual, you're having boys for the first time. So how do mm-hmm. things differ from a programming standpoint in terms of what you're presenting to all of them? Yeah, um, I think the talks are going to be slightly different. I had to change my whole presentation because, um, I mean, there's things that we would talk about with the girls and stuff. But now it's like I'm talking to boys, so I have to kind of make it mm-hmm. differently, but not so much. Um, yeah, I, I there's things that I added in there. Um, so we're going to talk about more like the conscious, subconscious mind, pos- more like positive, positive psychology um, thing. So um, I'm excited to do that. It's going to be different, obviously doing it through Zoom. Um, yeah, but I, I am going to drop off two gifts in San Diego because there's two San Diego kids. So I'm going to do that tomorrow, drop it off. But um, yeah, it's it's I'm excited for the boys because I didn't get a lot of letters on the boy side, but there was a good amount. And yeah, again, it, it's even for the boys, like I'm starting to realize like they need it as much as the girls. Mm -hmm. And I feel bad because I kept saying, I need to do this for my girls. I need to do this for my girls. And now I'm like, why didn't I do this sooner? Because I I got a lot of those letters that I'm like, man, they need this so bad. (laughs) So. Well, maybe there's another athlete listening to this who can take a cue from you and start Something yeah, else. I think the more right opportunities there are for people to engage in this way, whether it's virtually or in person, the better off everyone's going to be. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Are there any guest presenters aside from yourself or is it all you? Uh, it's Yeah, it's just me and then just whatever, like my sponsors, like Circa Core and, and New Balance, you know, they, they're helping me run it and make sure, you know, the kids get what they need for, for training and whatnot. And then obviously me just doing my part with the presentation and it's, again, it's just going to be different. I'm just going to try to make the most of it. And, um, I even spent some time doing like a DIY project for them. Cause I'm really 
I'm getting better at my woodworking. So I did a project for them and it was a lot of work, <laughs> but um, I hope they like it. But yeah, it's, it should be fun. Well, since you mentioned it, I remember reading not that long ago in Women's Running that during the pandemic these past few months, you've been keeping yourself busy at home with these woodworking yeah. and other improvement projects. Have you always yeah. been creative? <clears throat> um, I My dad has given me like a lot of his tools. So I do have, like my husband even bought me like more power tools, like on my birthday, like the last few birthdays. And um, I was always scared to try them because they're kind of loud. And they're like, sure. I don't want to fall my hand off. But um, I think once I threw myself into it, then I I was just getting better and better. And I would look at YouTube, Pinterest. And um, yeah, so now I've, I found the time to like, renovate the house like when I have the time. <laughs> and I mean, in a, in a normal year, you wouldn't have been able to do that because you would have been locked in on the Olympics and yeah, traveling around. So it's like, oh, yeah. funny how things work out sometimes. Yeah. But I have to like almost earn it. Like I have to make sure the workouts are in my, I took my nap. And if I have like a couple hours of free time, then I'll try to do it. <laughs> I personally hope as a fan of yours that you compete for several years longer. But do you think after your competitive career is over, this is something you can see yourself getting even more into? Uh, I think it could be like a side hustle. I don't know. <laughs> um, but like I, I just finished my master's. So I, I'm like mindful of the future. So I have that just in case. So once I do end up retiring, hopefully not anytime soon, but at least I have that to fall on. Like if I want to get into coaching or maybe counseling. Um, I don't know, but we'll see. <laughs> Talk to me about your master's degree. I believe it is in coaching and counseling. Yeah. And I know you majored in sociology and law as an undergrad. So I'm interested in this pursuit of a master's degree. You just finished it up. When did you start it? And when you did, what were your hopes coming out of it? Um, I started it about a year and a half ago. And um, I... Yeah, I mean, I was out of school for so long, like even the format of like my papers were so weird. Like we used to do like MLS, I think in college and I had to do the other one that's, I can't even remember the name of it, but um, it was just hard, like just going back into school. And um, I just had time because I was dealing with an injury and I think my husband didn't like me just kind of sitting down and being like a grump. And he's like, you need to do something. And I was like, okay. And he's like, you should get your master's. And I was like, I don't know if I can get in. And uh, I don't know why I thought that, but um, I, yeah, I got into Mizzou. So I did online. The USOC paid for a lot of it. So I, it was good that I could take advantage of that and have them pay for a big part of the school. Um, and I literally just finished like right before the Portland race. Um, so I'm happy it's over with. And there was times where I was like, what did I get myself into? This is so hard. But I'm happy it's done. And um, I at least have that. How do you foresee applying it moving forward? Um, I think it would just help. Like if I end up coaching, I think it's going to help because then I know, like just from me being a an athlete, like I know the mental side of things. And I know like I shouldn't just be pushing my athletes like, like, yeah, I want to push them, but not to the point where they just become like docile. Like they just be, like, I don't want them to be like, I know they're not robots, but it has to be more than just a running. Like I want them to be good human beings. And once I work with them for those four or five years, like I want them to be ready for the real world. So um, I think if they, if I can show them like a way of coaching that can be, or come from a place of compassion and um, me of being understanding, like, even if they're not performing their best, I don't care. Like, I just want to make sure they're happy and 
I know they can succeed if, under that sort of environment, so to speak. So um, I think I learned a lot about that in my classes and um, we can't push our athletes like that. And a lot of it's, you know, these mental issues are starting to come up more and more. And um, I want to be mindful of that. Given the work that you've done with your camp and younger girls, do you foresee yourself coaching that age moving forward? Um. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I want to coach at the division one level. Mm-hmm. It, even if it's junior college, I'm, I'm okay with that. Maybe even teaching on the side. Um, I just don't know. Like whatever's open, I don't, I don't know how the jobs are going to be like, you know, five, six years from now. I don't know. But um, yeah, I hopefully college. I think I, I want to get into that because I, I think that's a really good moment where, um, you know, kids are starting to figure out who they are. They're young adults. And they're going to be in the real world like really soon. So I have to make sure that they're, they're ready for that. And it's reassuring that it's not going to be easy, but you can do this, you know? So um, hopefully college, I can, I can coach. Well, I think just keeping an open mind about it, the way you just described that, it's not dissimilar from how Coach V Hill got his start teaching and coaching and then moving mm-hmm. on from high school to college and then eventually found himself working with some of the best athletes in the world, yourself included. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Following his footsteps, but yeah. <laughs> On your Twitter profile, you have a pinned tweet at the top, and it's from after the Olympics in 2016, and it says, behind every strong, independent woman lies a broken little girl who has had to get back up. I will be back, is what you wrote. Talk to me a bit about that little girl. In what ways was she broken? You know, growing up, I, I always remember watching the Olympics, watching the marathon. I, I'm in love with the marathon. <laughs> and I told myself, I want, and that's every little kid's dream, like to be an Olympian. And I didn't see that until, you know, college that it could actually be possible. And, um, you know, qualifying for the Olympic trials, I think my sophomore year. And, um, but yeah, that's like every little girl's dream. And obviously when I got to the Olympics, it, wasn't what I wanted. I mean, yes, I'm happy to call myself an Olympian, but um, I think just how I ended, I I was so like injured. I was tired. And I think just how I made the Olympic team was just a different story in itself. Like I was so exhausted, like after the Olympic trials, like I, it was such an emotional high that I, I couldn't finish workouts after the Olympic trials. Like I was so tired. Um, And I think my, probably my cortisol was, was really high, but um yeah, hopefully this next time around, I can just rewrite my story and it'd be different and I can be better prepared and injury free. Um, but yeah, I, obviously I was disappointed in the performance that I had at the Olympics, but, um, but also proud of how I made the team, you know, to rebound from, from the trip. But um, yeah, hopefully I can change that this next time around. Well, take me back to your youth growing up in Rancho Cucamonga. What was it like for you? Were you an only child? Did you have siblings? I have siblings. I'm the, I'm the baby. Um, I have an older sister and an older brother. So my sister, Barbara, is two years older. And my brother, Ralph, is about four years older than me. Um, no one does sports <laughs> at all. No one's, no one's active like I am. So I'm kind of the weird one. Um, but yeah, my family's been super supportive of my running. Um, you know, they never really got involved in my training. They were more like the cheerleaders, which I'm grateful for. They just let me do one sport. And I you know, they threw me in when I was about five years old and I fell in love with the sport and I just been doing it ever since. How did you get thrown into it at five years old? <laughs> That's pretty early. I, yeah, I was pretty bad growing up. I, 
I, I just love to run and I would disappear for like hours at a time. And my mom used to get so mad and I would just kind of show up like in the afternoon or in the evening. And she's like, where were you? And I'm like down the street, you know, or going to the park by myself. But she just got to the point where she's like, you can't be doing this. And her coworker suggested, why not put her in track club? And um, I remember joining the West Coast Gazelles and we had practice at San Bernardino Valley College. Uh, so my pa- my parents would drive me all the way to San Bernardino for training. Um, and yeah, I had the same coach from the time that I was five all the way to my senior year in co- I mean, my senior year in high school. Um, so he was just super careful with my development. And um, yeah, that's kind of just how it started for me being a really bad kid. <laughs> but it was a good thing. <laughs> did it help you to mature? <laughs> it did. Like it, I think they thought it was going to be like a form of punishment. Like people think running is like a punishment, but it's not. Like I loved it. And I always looked forward to going to practice. I thought it was a race every single time I went to practice. And um, and I grew up with the girls. Like, we we all went to the same high school. So a lot of them, you know, they're, they're lifelong friends. And, um, yeah, so I just had the right mentors on my side. And um, I'm really glad my parents made me stick to it. You mentioned how you are the youngest of all of your siblings. Were you competitive from a very early age, just in general? Yeah, I was. I remember in in elementary school, we, we used to run like a lap and I used to give the boys a head start because they knew I would get them. And um, I would just literally just like knock them down. Like I would just catch up and like pass them like nothing. And they didn't like that. And I remember a lot of kids didn't want to play tag with me because I was just so quick. Um, but yeah, I, I've been super competitive, super active. I know you're the first person in your family to graduate from college. What did that mean to you when you got that diploma and walked across the stage? Super important. My my parents always emphasized um, education is is going to be like top priority. And you know, even my coaches they they planted that seed in my head. Like you can go to college and graduate, and running can help pay for it. Um, and you you know, really, I was just interested in finding a school, hopefully a four year university that would pay for everything and, you know, save the burden for my parents. Cause of course I couldn't afford college, but, um, I'm, you know, thankful for the scholarship that UC Riverside gave me and I was able to go to school and run and, um, yeah. And I, I graduated and that was a huge deal for my family. I think my mom has my, my degree. I should probably ask for it back. <laughs> and, <laughs> and yeah, so now that I have like my master's, I think they're going to mail it like in, in a few weeks. So, um, I need that to go with my, my undergrad, but, uh, yeah, it's a really big thing for me. I'm proud of it. You majored in sociology and law. What was the attraction to those particular fields of study? Um, I wanted to be a sheriff. Like once I grad, like I really thought I was gonna be a cop or like a sheriff. And I think when I met my husband, I well boyfriend at the time, but I he's like, no, you're not gonna be a cop. Like you're you're gonna get mistreated and. Um, he used to coach like a marathon group and he used to have a lot of cops and like judges in the group. And they used to always tell him like, tell her not to be one. Cause you're not going to have a life. You're not, you're not going to be able to have a good family. Like it's hard. They're like, just tell her not to do it. So they kind of convinced me. They're like, find something else to do. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I'm already this far into my credits. I'll just stick with it. Maybe I'll find use for it somewhere else. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, now looking back, I'm like, yeah, maybe it wasn't a good thing I wasn't a cop. <laughs> Why did you want to be a cop? I don't know. <laughs> I just did. Like, I 
I think I just wanted to help like my community and um, I just thought that was the way I could do it. It's interesting yeah. to to hear you say that because you're giving back in a different way now yeah. through your running. Have you always had that self-awareness about you that you wanted to to give back to those who have either helped you along your path or that you could help along theirs? Uh, yes, of course. Yeah, I I think community is like so huge and you know, I'm I'm proud from you know, where I came from and I try not to forget that. Um, so like, even when I, when I represented, um, you know, the USA, like at the Olympics, it was more than just that. It was like my town, even big bear, um, just representing like where I came from. And that's a huge deal to me. And it, it just, it still matters to me. And, um, I always just try to find ways like just to help. Um, but yeah, that's probably where it came from. You just, When you graduated college, as you talked about earlier, you were looking for different groups that you could join. You even went to Colorado for a little bit. Ultimately, you ended up back home. Uh, You're an hour away in in Big Bear. You drive down uh, to see your family regularly. You're training near where you grew up. How much has that just played into your overall happiness and success as an athlete? Um, It's yeah, I, I think, I mean, there's been times where it's like been so hard and it was unpleasant and yes, it would, it would take a stab at my happiness, but looking back on it, I'm so glad that those things happened to me because I, I wouldn't be in the place where I'm at right now if it wasn't for those, you know, those bad moments. Um, so now I'm like at the point where I'm like, if something bad's happening, like I just try to embrace them. Like, you know what, maybe this is something that's going to benefit me later on. Um, you know, and I, I feel like sometimes the world has or the universe has a funny way of like presenting itself. Um, so I try to just trust like what's going on around me. And um, yeah, so I, I just try to take that into account. Like, hey, like maybe this just isn't my moment right now. And um, or maybe I need to take a different different path. Um, but doesn't mean I have to stop there either. Do you, um, do you feel most yeah. comfortable when you're close to home? I do. Yeah, it's an hour away, like my family. I mean, I haven't really seen my family, which is weird. I, you know, not everyone there is like the healthiest, like they, their immune systems aren't like the strongest. So I didn't want to go visit them, especially during COVID. Like I saw my mom for the first time last week and I hadn't seen her since like January. Um, and I was just like in her driveway and I was just making sure like I was safe and, you know, I want to keep her safe as well. Um, yeah, it's just different because I would try to go there almost every weekend. We'd have a barbecue at my brother's mm-hmm. house. Like my cousins live like next door to my parents. So like everyone's there, like they're always hanging out. So I'm like a little jealous that I haven't been able to spend time with them. But um, yeah, hopefully when things get back to normal, I'm, I'm back there every single weekend. Obviously, that's hard not to be able to see them with that kind of regularity. But have they been understanding given the situation? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they're just like, just stay on the mountain. Hopefully it's safer up there. and. Um, yeah, cause they, we just thought, okay, maybe there might be some races. So I just don't want to risk it like traveling and then going to interact with you. And, um, yeah, they've been super supportive. They're like, you know what, let's just wait. It's better just to be safe on everyone's part. And hopefully down the road we can, it all changes, but I don't know. <laughs> I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about some specific races that you've been involved with. And the first is the 2013 world championships in Moscow at the event, you left there with a bronze medal. And last summer, you received your medal upgrade 
to silver after yeah. um, Maria Savanova of Russia. She got a four-year ban for doping. What was that moment like for you when you received the news? I believe it was like 2017 when it was announced initially. Yeah. Um, I think just going into 20, I mean, even seeing what was going on in 2012 during the Olympic year, I, I think everyone knew like, okay, these athletes are running incredibly fast. Like it's kind of, you know, hard to believe. And I think we kind of had our suspicions and obviously we're not going to call them out, if, you know, unless they test positive or whatever. But um, I think we knew deep down, like, yes, they're probably are doing something. But I think once I actually got on the line with them and being in Moscow, Russia, like it was kind of scary, like going over there and like, you know, coach didn't go, my husband didn't go. And I just went with team USA, but I just trusted that I did the training and I just need to finish as high as I can. Like I wasn't even thinking about medals. I was like, just have the race of your life and stay out of trouble. And, um, yeah, like I was fortunate enough to finish in the bronze position because I was able to get on the, on the stand. Um, and I felt so bad for Elisa because I know she's worthy of a medal. Like I know there's been multiple championships where she has gotten a medal, but just been cheated out of it. Um, but yeah, just to come back seven years later and get upgraded, it was, it was good, but then it was also bad like that. It took that long um, and to allow people like this to, to still compete, you know, and um, I just, they need to do more, you know, anti-doping and um, give harsher uh, penalties as well. You've been in the game for a while. Do you think the anti-doping has improved in the time that you've been a professional athlete? Um, I honestly, I don't know. I want to believe that they are getting better. Um, yeah, I'm seeing athletes get their bands, but I'm also seeing athletes just getting slapped on the wrist. Um, I, I feel like they need to actually believe in, you know, what they're actually saying, like strict liability. Um, that's one of the, like every year you have to take like a, like a test on their website. And that's like the first thing they talk about strict liability. You need to know what's going in your body. Like it doesn't matter what, what, you know, whether you don't know what you're eating or not, but you need to know what, what's going in your body. Mm -hmm. Um, so if there's something in your system that should automatically be a ban, not, Oh, just a slap on the wrist. Like, I think that's kind of where I get irritated. Um, but yeah, like I've been super careful. I'm really good at updating. I have never missed a test. I've been tested the last 11 years and I, it's no excuse. Like I'm really good at updating because it's important to me. Like I want to compete. Um, so I'm, I try to do my part to, to, to believe in a clean sport. And how hard is it to update your whereabouts? Because we hear about all of these whereabouts failures and (laughs) hear every excuse under the sun. I I like how Jenny Simpson put it. you're either stupid or, you know, like what, like what's the excuse? Like, it's really not that hard. It's not like a text or an, even an email. Like I do email so that I can see like the return, like, Hey, we got your message basically. And I've been really good at updating it. I have not missed a test and it's been 11 years. Like there's no excuses for it. And if you have time to tweet and you have time to put it, put an Instagram post, you have time to update. It's just either being lazy or you just don't care. Um, yeah, like I try to hold myself accountable. So 
there's no excuses for it. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> How do you navigate those moments when you're about to step to the start line? And as you described earlier, you know the playing field is probably not level. But at the same time, you really can't be thinking about that because you are trying to have the best race that you possibly can have yeah. and finish as high as possible. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that's one of the biggest struggles, not just for myself, but for a lot of people. We We compare ourselves. We're thinking like this athlete is just so much better. And a lot of times you don't even know if it's like an honest thing that they're doing. Um, so I, I try to take a step back from that and not try to worry about that. And, and sometimes it does get to me, but um, I really just have to talk to Carlos or, or Coach Vijo and be like, Coach, like I'm having a really hard time with like my confidence right now. And, you know, I really think it's because I'm comparing myself. And um, I've been pretty good, you know, most of the time of, just focusing on myself and not worried about what people are doing. Um, but it does get tough. And a lot of people know it. And, you know, sometimes we just keep our mouth shut. But uh, yeah, it's been tough. Is that something you've gotten better at over the course of your career is being able to just focus on yourself and not worry about what's going on around you? Yeah, because I, I know it would it would take away from my happiness. I think when I was at my worst and I wasn't having fun with the sport, it was when I was injured and um, seeing people that shouldn't be competing, you know, and um, because either they've gotten a slap on the wrist or they have sort of banned, like, and they're still winning medals, like stuff like that. Like it, it would bother me. Cause I'm just like, I like, <laughs> I'm probably going to like get irritated right now, but it's, it's the truth because you're taking it away from someone else. Like, you're the reason why someone didn't make a team. You're the reason why someone didn't make a final or didn't, you know, they missed their chance at a medal um, because you decided you want to do it in a really bad way. Um, so I think that was my point. Like that would irritate me the most. And, um, but now I've, I just got into the point where I'm like, I don't need to do that. Like uh, it's not helping me. Um, it's taking away from my happiness. It's, it's going to start like to carry over to my personal life. And that's something that I don't want. So I've been, I've been pretty good at like just trying to stay away from it. And if I have to write in my journal, then that helps me too. Um, if I have to, you know, go into the garage and do woodworking because it's therapeutic for me, like then I'll go do that. Like it's, it forces me to be productive in a different way and just take my mind off of things. Um, but yeah, I, I've been getting better at it. And um, yeah, I just, I try not to focus on it. Focus more on myself. The other event I want to talk to you about and you mentioned it earlier, is the 2016 U.S. Olympic trials. And you talked about how exhausted you were afterward. And then you still had to go to the Olympic Games afterward. Yeah. But you went into those yeah. trials as one of the favorites to make the team in the 800 meters. And in the final, you were coming into the final turn. You're in the top three, 150-ish meters to go. There's contact. Uh, and you get totally knocked off your stride and out into like lane three. Take me through that final 150 meters. Um, well, going through the bell lap, I, I was just trying to stay out of trouble. Um, and yeah, I, I felt like with 250 meters, I was going to make my move. And with about 200 to go, going into the final turn, I, I honestly felt like I was licking my chops. I was telling myself, I'm going to make this, this team right now. Like, this is my moment. Like, this is where I can call myself an Olympian. And, um, I knew coach was kind of like a, near the finish line. So I just, really I wanted to make him proud as well. And, um, all of a sudden I just felt something on my heel and, um, Alicia Montani happened to be behind me. She's not the one that clipped me, but she was behind me and she ended up just 
completely colliding into me, even though it wasn't even her fault. Um, we were the two favorites and all of a sudden we're completely out of it. She completely fell. Um, I just remember being like distraught, like not knowing what happened, um, going through the finish line. And, um, I just kind of jogged it in. I'm like, I don't even know what happened right now. Like what the hell? (laughs) And I was just thinking like, you know what, the, the team's already made like, and when you exit off the track, you have to go through like this, this tunnel and it's just like a fence that goes straight to the media tent. And then there's, and then there's like another tent where you collect your things. And I just remember having like a huge lump in my throat, not knowing what I was going to say to media and something just came over me and I was like thinking about my girls camp, which helped me so much. I was going to have it like two weeks later and I knew they were watching and I was like, I can't be upset. Like if they seem in a really bad place where I'm blaming people and feeling sorry for myself, like that's not what I want. So I remember doing interviews and I said, you know what, I'm just going to get ready for the 1500. Um, it happens. I'm not blaming anyone. and. Um, I remember getting my stuff. My teammate Boris had just made the team. I completely forgot he was racing. <laughs> um, so I'm really got, glad like my trip, he saw the trip. So I'm really glad it didn't bother him. Um, but I remember getting my stuff, um, and meeting up with coach Fijo and my husband and they were just like crying. Like, you know, like coach, do not cry. Cause I'm going to cry. It's really sad seeing an old man like you cry. <laughs> so stop. And Um, I just remember asking for my watch and just saying, let me just go do my 20 minute cool down. There's nothing I can do. I was like, it's okay. And, you know, I just trusted that. And I, it just got back to me being, you know, forcing myself to get into that schedule again, like of just recovering, writing, reading, like the stuff that I love to do. Um, and just keeping a positive mindset. Like I, I know it was, I was kind of sad, but at the same time, I'm like, I, I can't do that. Like it gets me nowhere feeling sorry for myself. Um, so I just made the decision, like you need to grow up and find a way like it's, this isn't the end. Um, so I was just trying to keep a positive mindset and getting through those 1500 meter rounds. And I mean, you knew that you had the 1500 meters, so you would have another chance, even though the 800, I mean, was it, it's your event. I mean, that's where you've shined the, the brightest. If you hadn't had the 1500 meters to play a hypothetical here, do you think your reaction would have been different after the eight? Um, oh, I, I think so. I think knowing that I did have another chance, obviously it, it helped my spirits as well. Cause it was just another opportunity, but yeah, it, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm pretty sure I probably would have taken it bad. Um, but again, I don't think I would have been complaining or, you know, like blaming someone. I'm like, it happens, but I think I would have been really sad <laughs> if it was just that one time. Let's fast forward to the 1500 meter final 200 meters to go. There's contact again. I, I watched the, I watched the tape uh, before we got on this call, but you managed to stay upright and you ended up finishing third with essentially a dive at the line. Take me through the final half lap of that race. Uh, I was getting tripped. Like it was insane. Like it, it always happens in the 15, like girls are, it, I understand like you have to throw elbows to, to protect your position, but I think everyone was just like antsy and um, there is so much pressure at the, it's, you can feel the intense, like the intensity at the, at Hayward field. Um, and I just remember it, be, it being so loud and I, I knew lots of people were cheering for me. Cause I remember when we were doing the lineup, um, obviously when they were calling people's names, when they, when they said my name, Haywardville got really loud and they don't ever get that loud for 
a California, they get that loud for like an Oregon athlete or OTC or, you know, Nike, mm-hmm. whatever athlete, you know, in Oregon. Um, so I knew people were kind of like cheering me on. They wanted to see me do well, you know, just because of what happened the week before. But um, it, it got super loud with like 150 to go. And I just told myself, find the finish line. Um, and then when I saw Morgan, you see me kind of buckle up. I was like, I just need to catch her, like just find a way. And um, I just remember my my arms were like cramping up. My my legs were starting to buckle. And I didn't mean to like dry, dive through the line. Like my legs just buckled because I that's all I had. But um, I didn't know if I had made the team or not. I really thought I got fourth. And it wasn't until Jenny Simpson ran up to me and told me. Um, yeah, because I didn't even hear the announcers tell me, like, you know, I couldn't hear anything. So it, it wasn't until Jenny told me. So um, that was an awesome moment. <laughs> and I couldn't believe I did it. When you saw Coach V Hill and your husband after that, what was <laughs> that interaction like? Yeah, uh, it was like a dream come true. Like, it did not feel real. I I ended up doing my victory lap, and I didn't see Coach V Hill until, like, like near the finish line, he was along the fence trying to get my attention and he like grabbed me and I was like, Oh my, I didn't know he was there, but he was crying this time, like good tears, you know? And yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, he was, he was of course proud of me and he was just crying. Like, he's like, I'm I'm so happy you did it. Like you did it. And, um, you didn't let anything bother you. And, you know, it's just the way he trained me. Like he trains me to dig deep in the well and training and, um, he prepared me for that. Talk to me about the days between those two events. I'm not sure off the top of my head how many there were, but how were they for you from a mental and emotional standpoint? Um, I, yeah, I was trying not to be too upset about it. Um, I mean, there's just nothing I can do. It was already in the past. The team had already been made. Um, so I was just trying to focus on the things that I could control and, um, you know, even to this day, I always tell myself if something's not going the way I want to, I always tell myself what's the best way I can respond to this and not so much like react to it. Um, so I, I think when I tell myself that I can actually sit down think about it and be like, okay, I'm going to change the way I'm thinking right now and approach it a different way. And I think that helps a lot of times because I feel like if I react, then I just bring on more problems and there's no need for that. Um, but yeah, even during those two days, the two day break, like I just took it as any other day. And, you know, even if I didn't, if there wasn't a trip and I just didn't make the team, it, there was no way around it. I was still going to run. Um, so nothing was going to change. And I was trying not to get too far from that. Um, so yeah, it did help like writing in my journal and um, talking to the coaches. Last question. And I want to go back to something that you said earlier that jumped out to me and I didn't follow up on it at the time, but here's where I want to end this conversation. You mentioned how, you love the marathon and you haven't raced one yet. And your upper end of your range uh, is nowhere close to a marathon at this point. But do you see a future in that event for you? Or do you think it's something that you might do a one and done? Or is it too early to tell at this point? Um, I honestly, I want to try the half marathon first because I know the, the marathon's a different monster. And I think I'm just like in awe how the girls or even the guys like, to run 26.2 miles, like to me, that's insane. Like when I do my marathon, like, like pace long runs, uh, like 10 to 12 miles, I'm like dying. And it's probably because I'm at altitude and it's rolling hills, but 
I just, I'm like, man, like this hurts. And they have to go double the distance or slightly more. Like, that's incredible. Like, I, I think that all the time. I'm like, these people are tough. Like, and Coach B always tells me like, you know, Dina's first marathon, Meb's first marathon was not the greatest. I think one of them actually dropped out, but they became the greatest we've ever had in the States. Um, so that kind of gives me encouragement to kind of push myself in, on those days. And um, again, I, I try to believe in adaptation and I just try to hurt as much as I can on those days. And because I know those are my weaknesses, but I, I know I can get stronger if I can get those consistent. Um, but yeah, I, I love the marathon. I love all the marathon runners. And um, I always look forward to watching the trials and or even like the majors or even Berlin, stuff like that. So I, I'm a big fan and hopefully maybe I can jump into one. <laughs> What's the longest run that you've ever done in your life to this point? Um, I think I did a 16 miler here at altitude. Um, and that was pretty hard. I remember my hip flexors were like so blown, <laughs> but yeah, that was hard. <laughs> Does coach V ever bring up the marathon with you in terms of something for you to, to think about, or has he only talked about it in the context of other athletes that he's worked with and the experiences that they've had? Uh, he won't push it on me, but he's like, if you're ready to move up, you let me know. Um, but he, I like how graduate is. He's like, we will focus on the half. Like, I'm not going to throw you in the marathon. Like, you need to feel good in the half and actually feel like you can go longer. Um, so let me get through that one first, hopefully. <laughs> and then maybe I'll think about the marathon. I love it. Well, he's probably yeah. the best mind in the business, so you can yeah. definitely trust his assessment yeah. on that. Brenda, thank you so much for the last hour. I really enjoyed this conversation. I respect you immensely. I love everything that you're about. Thank you for coming on the Morning Shakeout podcast. Thank you, Mario. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the Morning Shakeout podcast. If you enjoyed it and want to show your support for the show, please tell a friend about it or throw up a post on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and encourage your friends and followers to listen and subscribe. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on, which only takes a minute and it really means a lot to me. A big thank you to New Balance for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. I want to tell you about the new Fuel Cell RC Elite, which launches this week on newbalance.com. I've had a pair since earlier this year, and I love them just as much for faster fartlek workouts as I do for marathon pace tempo runs. The combination of fuel cell foam and a full-length carbon fiber plate puts a little pep in your step, and the Dynaride outsole provides good traction in a variety of conditions. So if you're looking for a fast shoe to rock this fall, check out the Fuel Cell RC Elite at newbalance.com or at the links in the show notes. I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my man John Summerford of BearsRecords.com. He's my audio ninja for this show and makes every episode sound clear and amazing. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for the editorial and social media assistance and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. I don't have a big team here at The Morning Shakeout, but these three guys play key roles in helping keep this ship afloat. Last two things before we wrap up. If you want to support The Morning Shakeout directly, you can become a member on Patreon at themorningshakeout.com slash support. I put out a separate weekly podcast on there called The Weekly Rundown with my friend and colleague Billy Yang and offer other exclusive perks and sneak peeks from time to time. 
Finally, if you're digging this podcast, I think you'll love my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout. And every Tuesday morning, I give my take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to that you might enjoy getting in your inbox. You can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Okay, that's it. I am Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of The Morning Shakeout Podcast. <laughs>